the harshest of operating conditions. Large-scale investment, planning, and commitment places the offshore sector in a league all on its own, where the stories of people aren't found anywhere else. From safety to operations to new technology, we look to break down this often mystified industry and shed light into the unknown. You're listening to the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast with your host, Andy Lash. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast, where we are making waves in the oil and gas industry. We've got a very interesting topic today. We're going to learn about new and exciting technology flying around through the airwaves. We are going to be talking about drones and all the great opportunities that they provide us here in the industry. To provide us this information, we have Chris Fleming, CEO of CyberHawk. Chris, thank you for your time and thank you for speaking with me. You're most welcome, Andy, and nice to nice to get on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. This is something that's always intrigued me. I fly a small DJI drone just for videography and stuff. People that have listened to the podcast for a while might know I, I won this hosting job by winning a video contest. And there's some of my drone footage in my video, <laughs> my, my winning videos. So it's a topic that's super interesting to me. So thank you again. No problem. Maybe at the end of the call, Andy, we can schedule a little interview and see if you want to become one of our pilots. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that on your LinkedIn. Yes, I saw that you're looking for pilots. Yeah, I, yeah, we're recruiting right now. I would. I, I, I might do that. <laughs> I like my day job today a lot, but it's always intrigued me. So no. before we get into the meat of it, though, of course, thank you to our sponsor. Our sponsor is Tidewater. As always, Tidewater owns and operates the largest fleet of offshore support vessels in the industry. With over 60 years of experience supporting offshore energy exploration and production activities worldwide. If you're interested in support for your maritime operations, you can learn more about Tidewater through their website at tdw.com. And as always, wherever you receive this content, if you can like, subscribe, share, leave a comment, any of that fun stuff, it greatly helps us promote the show, helps us reach more of an audience. And then we also take your feedback and apply it to future episodes so we can make this the most valuable show that we can. All right, Chris, I usually like to start in the same place, and that's just to learn about the guests, learn about you. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, sure. So I'm the, the CEO of Cyberhawk, which is a drone asset inspection company. And I got here through industry. So my career started firstly doing inspection. So I started doing NDT, which most people would know as non-destructive testing. And I began in workshops working on inspection of welds and then moved into refineries. And then some 20 years ago, I went offshore and started working on oil and gas platforms in the northwest of Australia and did a, a few years there working for clients like Woodside and after a period of time, I increased my skills. I became a rope access technician, so somebody that hangs on ropes. And I was one of the first people in Australia to do that course. And that then saw me travel extensively to the Middle East, working offshore there. I also had a few years in Brunei, training locals to do inspection on the ropes. And then decided I wanted to come and see what it was like in the North Sea off Scotland, which is where I am today. And I worked offshore on the Captain FPSO installation, which is about 100 miles off the coast of Aberdeen. 
and I was the asset inspection engineer for Lloyd's Register. I actually looked after two assets. I used looked after the FPSO and a fixed insulation that was one nautical mile away. And I've spent my life climbing in and out of tanks or up derricks or flare stacks to do inspection. And that's what led us to Cyberhawk. Myself and the other co-founders all came from that type of background, an inspection background in the oil and gas industry. And we thought, I wonder if we can do what we're doing now with a drone. And about probably 15 years ago was when drone technology started to evolve to an extent where the battery technology meant that you could get a significant enough flight time and carry a camera, and then the potential was there to do the inspections. And that's the reason for starting the company. And some 12 years later now, I think, we're, we've worked in more than 35 countries. So that's a kind of awesome. a brief introduction. Do you think, given your background and all the knowledge that you've got with all the different you know, inspections and all the testing and the NDT that you've done over the years, was it easier to learn the drone side of your current business, or do you think the knowledge of drones, you could learn the testing side more? I mean, was that, it sounds like your progression really helped fuel your success, right? Yeah, it did. I think there, you know, there's the adage that, you know, we were looking for a solution for a problem rather than having a solution and then looking for a problem to fix. So that really helped us kind of hone, focus our skills on that specific problem and then find the right drone to be able to get the type of data that we would need to write an inspection report and my feeling is that the inspection report that we gather we write from gathering drone data has to be comparable or if not better than an inspection report that you'd get from from a technician who was there in person because a technician when they write the report will write a lot of a lot of verbiage around what they see, and they'll illustrate that with a couple of example photographs. We can't do that because we're doing it remotely. So therefore, the, the quality of the imagery has to be superb because you know that's the way that we're kind of carrying out the inspection. So it definitely has helped us. We haven't wasted a lot of time developing technologies that are, that are of no value, and it's really allowed us to stay ahead of the the field really when we started there was there was nobody Andy. there was nobody doing what we're doing and now there are you know there are hundreds possibly even thousands of companies who are, have replicated what we're doing and we've just managed to stay ahead because we know exactly what we're looking for and we don't waste time developing things that don't speak to that end game yeah no that makes a lot of sense and it is interesting to see how much they've kind of exploded right like anybody can buy a drone and anybody can you know, fly some of these, I mean, fairly elaborate drones. I mean, they don't have the technology and the added equipment and specialized equipment that I know you guys are, are deploying on, on yours, but they've become so easy to fly even to some degree. Anybody thinks they can just go out and do it, you know, and that's, you're yeah, missing that's part out of the challenge bit. is that if I take somebody out into a field and fly the drones that you're probably familiar with, a DJI drone or a Parrot or Skydio, then, you know, very quickly people grasp the concept and they get excited by it. like, this is easy. I had no idea how easy it was. And I say, okay, <laughs> that's true because you're in an open environment and there aren't many challenges. But if you're flying in a refinery between a vent stack, fin fan, coolers, 
and a flare stack, the wind is extremely turbulent. You've got flames coming out of the flare. You might have magnetic interference from objects that are nearby. Certainly you get that in power stations and you get it on offshore platforms. And then all of a sudden people then change their tune and say, all right, actually, I don't want to have anything to do with this. When we first started, I used to say to people or to our pilots, I said, if your hands aren't shaking, you're not flying for Cyberhawk because genuinely every single mission was well, it was extremely uh, tense and pushing the technology. It's easier now and the platforms are more, more robust and reliable, but there are still plenty of people crashing drones on offshore platforms around the world because they don't have the training and competency to do it in, in such a, a complex environment. I'm sure. I'm sure. I really like some of those videos. Unfortunately, I don't like people losing their equipment, but... <laughs> You can go on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube. You can see all the crash videos of people that, you know, trying to catch a drone in high winds and high seas in the back of, of, of a, a small vessel or something like that. Yeah, it's not for the faint-hearted. In fact, we were out. I did a team-building exercise with our group on Friday or Thursday of last week, and we were out in rough weather. It was a little bit windy, and I said to them. You know, this is like working in the offshore wind environment or on a supply vessel. And I said, just imagine now that you've got to go out the back door there and fly the drone in these turbulent seas, feeling a bit seasick. You know, it's not easy. <laughs> it's no quite challenging. So, you know, we've learned a l- little bit about, you know, just generally about drones and, you know, maybe a little bit of perspective on how the outsider might see your industry. But how about just starting with the most kind of basic level, what kind of inspections are we doing with drones? You know, what are the most common things that you, you guys are handling? And well, if we relate it to the uh, offshore oil and gas arena, then when we go and visit an offshore platform, we do something that's called a, a multi-scope inspection. And we try and hit as many assets, I don't mean physically hit, but <laughs> inspect as many assets as we can in the shortest period of time. And that then allows engineers to decide or prioritize any future work inspections. So we would fly around the flare and we would carry out a a flare tip inspection and we would inspect the derrick or the supporting structure. If it had a drilling derrick, we would inspect that as well. We would look at the exhaust stacks. We would check the platform itself. We would look at the jacket structure, the the elements that support the, the structure in the sea. We would check the risers. We would look at the lifeboat davits. We would do an underdeck inspection. If it had tanks, if it was an FPSO, we would also be doing periodic tank inspections. So that's something that we've introduced over the last couple of years. And the benefits of the drone that it gives you a very thorough assessment quite quickly. So, you know, we talk about doing things, a multi-scope, you might be offshore for four days and we'll do, you know, a complete inspection of all those, all those assets I described. And then it gives the asset engineers the confidence to say, okay, you know what, we're not going to inspect the derrick this year. We can see it's in pristine condition. There's no issues. Let's move that out a couple of years. Or, you know, the risers look pretty back at pretty bad at the sea level. Let's let's get a rope access team to prioritize those. And we'll just use our time more efficiently. So it's really anything that requires somebody or would normally require somebody to put on a harness or you'd have to erect scaffolding in order to get to it. That's what those are the types of assets that we inspect. Perfect. Yeah. And then, I mean, these inspections are 
you know, like everything that you stated, you know, just determining the condition, the safety, the safe operation, the, you know, is repair needed, all, all the things that go into managing these assets and keeping them living long term. But these different assets inspections can go into kind of, and you mentioned one of them, like tanks, right? So in, you know, not just the integrity of the tank, but I think you even mentioned checking for measurement accuracy and, and, you know, you're checking more than just visually for some different types of inspection, correct? Correct. Yeah. So there are certain inspections that require mandatory ultrasonic thickness inspections. So you have to know what the remaining wall thickness is of that that's carbon steel. And that can be for classified vessels. So, you know, FPSOs may be you know, classified by American Bureau of Shipping, Lloyd's Register, Bureau of Veritas, or one of the other ones. And there'll be a requirement that thickness measurements are carried out at cardinal points on the plates that went into building that uh, tank. So you'd, you'd have to typically take a reading in each corner of a plate, one in the center, and then those get averaged out over the tank to measure the general wastage. So, you know, normally that would be done by rope access guys and they would do the visual inspection and then they would carry out the thickness measurements. So we did some trials last year for an oil and gas major on a tank in Singapore where we took thickness readings in, inside the tank and it's something that we're looking to expand upon this year. Of course, you have all of the, the complexities that you would expect when you fit a probe to a drone and you have to make contact with a structure in the same way that you'd be you know, nervous if you were flying a helicopter with a probe coming out of it and you had to touch something with it. So you have all of the, the inherent risks associated with doing that. That's one of the examples where drone technology keeps moving forward and the ability to attach different sensors, whether it's methane detection, gas detection, ultrasonic thickness probes, or acoustic measurement devices. We're also able to use photogrammetry, which is a process whereby you take stereo images of something. So you have an, a photograph with at least 50% overlap. And from that, you can then take the images, you can put them in photogrammetry software, and then you can create a photorealistic 3D model of the asset. So there's the technology really does keep keep marching on. And it's quite exciting to see where, where this will lead us. Because as we know, working in the oil and gas industry, particularly offshore, it's it's a hostile environment, and there are lots of places where you really don't want to put human beings unless you have to. And I've spent, you know, I'd like to think how many months I've spent, you know, if you added it all up inside cargo oil tanks, wearing a harness, a rebreather, and a, a light on my helmet. And one of the things that I used to say to the, the teams that I was working with when we were going into the tanks, you know, we'd be teams of three and with a standby guard outside, I'd say, you know, Guys, we're going in here to do a job that's pretty dangerous. Let's make sure we all get out of here alive. You know, take your time. And in fact, you know, I'd rather you made something up rather than put yourself in danger for a thickness reading or something like that. I mean, that's the sort of environment. So plenty of people die in confined spaces. It's one of the biggest killers in industry. And robotic technology like drones hopefully will take a lot of man hours out of these confined spaces. Yeah. And I'm already impressed with how many tests you can do with the drones. Because that, that's exactly what I was thinking. You hit it. I was like, to do those ultrasonic, you know, 
measurements and to do the thickness testing, you've got to you've got to touch the material. That's got to be extremely nerve wracking to basically, you know, fly the drone up right adjacent to something. And then I also think that sensor probably has to stay pretty still during the actual testing, and you know, so you've got to keep it. You got to keep it there, right? You can't let yeah. it. Shake around. Um, yeah. So it, inside cargo oil tanks, usually the surface condition of the tanks is pretty good. So it's smooth, flat steel with only either very light corrosion in the form of mill scale, very uh, light corrosion, or none at all. Because if the oil is covering it, then usually that protects it from any kind of atmospheric corrosion. So usually the surface condition is pretty good. But if it if it's rough or scaled, then it's difficult to get a reading. So normally you can position the probe and you can almost bump up against the steel with a couplant and that's enough time then to register a thickness reading. It doesn't need to be on there for, if it's in good condition, you can pretty much just get it on there for less than a second and it'll it'll capture the reading. Awesome. So, I mean, we've heard some of the great value. I mean, just the safety aspect alone of being able to use a machine in the environment instead of a human. Uh, I mean, that value is incredible all in itself but i know there's lots of other things so you know a lot of other values on on how technology is is changing the industry how about just a little bit about the drones themselves i mean what are the drones are they toys you know we kind of hinted at that earlier are they you know massive drones are they you know what are just some of the background on the kind of the, the specific equipment you guys are using the drone technology is moving in a direction whereby there's a couple of reasons why things are getting smaller. And that's really what you want. So the, the highest risk with flying a drone is that it's a flying object. And if it falls out of the sky and it hits you or hits a thing, then it's either going to hurt them or it's going to damage something. So we believe that smaller is better. And we've already seen that. So cameras, as you're aware, if you look at your smartphone, the camera technology on the phones now is pretty remarkable. And camera technology gets better and better. So although drones are fairly large at the moment, they will continue to get smaller. And what we're seeing is a move from hobby drones and the manufacturers of those drones, whether it be DJI, Parrot, or Skydio, they're moving from the hobby market and they are making a concerted effort to focus on the industrial market. It's not because the hobby market's saturated. It's just that they can charge more for a drone if it's built to a higher spec because you know we'll pay a lot more money for it if it works. So that's what we're seeing. Drones becoming smaller. We are seeing the sense and avoid improving. And by that, I mean the drone has the ability to be aware of its surroundings and not bump into things. So Skydio has is probably leading in this regard in terms of it's using its camera sensors on board to build up an awareness of its surroundings. Flyability is a a Swiss company who have developed the drone that we use for confined space inspection. And it's a spherical drone, so it's like a ball, but it has an exoskeleton on the outside, which means you can bump up against things without it crashing. So those guys continue to improve on that product, making it more versatile, making it easier to control and making it smaller. So that's, you know, really moved on in in leaps and bounds. And just the ability to put, you know, different cameras on it, uh, have the camera looking up, because if you're flying underneath and on a gas platform, for instance, you want the camera to point up 
And it used to be that the only drone that was capable of doing that was the Falcon 8, which was ascending technologies, which was then bought by Intel. That was the only drone that can do it. But now DJI have brought out a couple of drones where you can have a top-mounted camera and a, a bottom-mounted camera so it can look up. But we are still seeing uh, reliability issues with the DJI products in flying in complex environments, which is one of the reasons why we don't use them for flying anywhere near oil and gas assets, because we want to make sure that it's going to fly a thousand times, not a hundred times without an issue. But yeah, a movement towards smaller, smaller devices and building up an, an avoidance system. That's where we're seeing the technology move at the moment. Awesome. Awesome. Now you're also, you're using drones, you know, from other manufacturers, but Cyberhawk is adding special equipment and software to these commercially available drones, correct? Yeah, we don't manufacture drones ourselves. We learned pretty quickly within the, sort of within the first couple of years that there was no point in us trying to compete with some of the manufacturers. And we just decided to partner with them. And we said, look, we know where to put these drones. We'll put them there first. And we know what we're looking for. So what we focused on was occasionally adding sensors like gas sensing so we could have continuous gas monitoring on the drone. So if we're flying in a a zone one rated area, one of the risk mitigations, because the the equipment's not intrinsically safe, I have to let everybody know that. It's battery operated, so it's not intrinsically safe. We put gas sensors on the drone so we continuously monitor the gas at that level and that location. But what we do is we quickly realized that when you're capturing so much visual data and lots of megabytes in terms of imagery and models, that most companies don't have the ability to view that data or to share it. So we developed a cloud-based software platform that allows us to capture the data, create models of assets, and then host all of that imagery, all of that data in the cloud. And then if companies don't have the infrastructure to store it and save it, then they don't need to, they just log in they can click on the model, they can go to the data straight away. We had a project in Pennsylvania where we were doing drone data capture for a a refinery that was being built for Shell. We captured the data to begin with and then a local company carried on thereafter and the software ended up is being used by all of the construction team to de-conflict activities because you basically get this aerial view of what's happening. And now we signed a global deal with Shell to roll that out globally. The issue is a lot of, as you know, oil and gas companies are very siloed and subsea don't talk to topside people. The person in charge of the structural engineer in charge of the platform may not speak to the person who looks after the technical authority for pipes. And what we can do is we can bring that kind of information together and everybody has access to the same information. And that, that's what we try and do with the software is three clicks and you found out what it is you need to know. Yeah, that's great. It's incredible, you know, advantage to the technology. I mean, so we've already touched on safety improvements and now, you know, greater communication and, and just operational efficiency. So lots of value added for sure. We've touched on quite a few of them, I think, but are there less common like specialty inspections that maybe just Cyberhawk is doing, you know, kind of where you guys are maybe a little ahead of the curve on the work that you can do? Yeah, we're always we're always working on, you know, kind of pushing the technology boundaries. And, you know, I obviously can't give give too much away. But, you know, one of the there's a couple of things that's gonna really kind of change the face of this technology. Two things are, are gonna happen. One is that the, the drones are gonna be able to fly by themselves, you know, 
pretty soon. So, you know, the first stage is can I fly it with little training and not crash it? Yes, that's going to happen very soon. And can the drone fly around something completely autonomously? And that can happen already. And then you have a, a tool that's able to go out and gather data with, you know, with little human intervention. And that's really important because what's going to come next is that the ability to fly drones simultaneously, swarming technology. You've probably seen, you know, the halftime Super Bowl show where yeah. the drones flew together. Right. I mean, that's what I mean. That's all being controlled by one person. And they're flying to predetermined locations, synchronized, obviously. But what I want people to imagine is that if you wanted to carry out an asset inspection or even, you know, even on a larger scale of a, of a small town or a city, drones will be able to fly completely autonomously. They'll fly in swarms. You'll gather a huge amount of data in a short period of time. And then what we have to do is we have to take that data and make sense of it quickly. And the only way that you can do that, you can't do it with humans. You have to do it with AI and machine learning. And so that's really where we're kind of uh, focusing our guns next in terms of how do you decipher this data so that a human doesn't have to look at it and quite quickly you can, you know, have findings that are reported to you without having to look at the data set. Yeah, no, that's extremely interesting, the the mesh network and and how, you know, they're all talking to each other. It's really cool. I remember that halftime show exactly. I know anybody that saw it knows what you're talking about. I think people might not realize that it, though it is all done by drones, though. So Yeah, they might not realize it. And the guy that's behind it, you're not even aware. His name is Daniel Gurdon. He was one of the founders of Ascending Technologies, the platform that we've been flying for 12 years. And he was the kind of brains behind it. And his his interest has always been in swarming technology. And yeah, had this idea, could fly 50 drones at once, then turn 50 to 200 to 500. And they have to be small because if, you know, the first time they were using them, it was in uh, Disneyland to, instead of the fireworks shows. And they started flying them over water so that if one of them fell out of the sky, you know, it would land in the water. But now the size of them is reduced even further and they've got foam lids on them. So if one landed on you, you know, you'd hardly notice it. it. It would be less than the weight of a seagull, much less. Wow. That's really interesting. That's super cool. Within your industry, do you face any popular myths or, or misunderstandings that, that you kind of have to combat with each day as you're talking to new customers? I think that does depend on, you know, it depends on your working environment. The first one you touched on was, oh, my son's got one. It's easy to fly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can do this. And then often I say, oh, and how did that end up with your son? Oh, well, it's, yeah, he lost it on the third day or <laughs> oh, I had to go and I crashed it. And I'm like, hmm, okay, well, wasn't that interesting? It wasn't that easy after all, perhaps. So that's the first misconception is that anybody can fly it in complex environments. They might get lucky, but if you're going to do it consistently day in, day out on refineries, offshore platforms, wind farms, every day of the year, you need the skill set to do it without crashing. So that's the, the first kind of misconception. I think this belief that we're people that people like us are interested in taking photographs of them when they're through the window the windows of their house or or we're watching them while they work because their bosses have sent us out to see if they're working efficiently I mean, that's not a driver at all for what we do and what other misconceptions are there so you can fly a drone with waypoints you can send it to predetermined locations using gps and that works on things that are flat, like land surfaces. It doesn't work so well for complex assets. So 
not everything is is transferable when you put it in a refinery or offshore gas uh, offshore platform. Sure, sure. Um, that absolutely makes a lot of sense. Do you have a job that you are most proud of so far with Cyberhawk? The industry is, we just move so fast that you don't really have time to reflect. For me, it was doing the world firsts. You know, when you did something for the very first time, and we've done 25, I just loved being on, because I did a lot of the first ones. I said, you know what? That's the first time that's ever been done. And you knew it. (laughs) You just knew it. And so it was like the first time you'd flown a drone inside a boiler. We came out of it and said, that's the first time anybody's flown a drone inside a boiler. And that was, you know, that's the first time we ever did a wind turbine inspection. First time we flew inside a cargo oil tank. And these were all paid jobs. They weren't, let's see if we can do it. Would you let us come and fly in your refinery? We said, no, we've got to do a report at the end of this that somebody has to be willing to pay money for. And so it's always been with that kind of end game of, you know, will somebody pay money for this report? Yes. So I couldn't pick one out, Andy. They've all been extremely challenging. I mean, flying in the Middle East in 50 degrees in Oman for Oxy out in the Mohesna field. And we're like, can we do this at any time of the year, any other time? They're like, no, no, it has to be in July. I'm like, oh, my Lord, why in July when it's 50 degrees? You know, we hadn't ever flown in those sort of temperatures. So we're, you know, cowering under umbrellas you know those were the sort of most challenging and we got it done and after that we did pdo and we did a, a petroleum development all over the country and in the middle of summer so those kind of challenging environments uh, when the drone performed well was really quite exciting to be, be involved in that yeah that's super cool it's a fun topic i mean it is cutting edge technology and but also relatable for all the myths and different things that we talked about i mean i think anybody understands quite quickly when you say drones you know what we're thinking about but then there's so much backstory so much more going on that you know the outsider doesn't doesn't have a clue about so it's it's really really fun to learn about really fun to talk about anything that the general audience should know about about cyberhawk that maybe we didn't get a chance to talk about i think that we have a pretty good reputation so most people know what we do and i just kind of describe ourselves as like the low risk option. There are plenty of places that we've worked in the world where, you know, we've done a job for a multinational company and then they've said, oh, there's a company that's just started up down the road and they're doing exactly the same thing. They've bought the same drones as you. And I say, right, okay. And they're, yeah, they, they're willing to charge half the price. And I say, well, good luck. Let me know if it works out. And quite often, more often than not, they end up coming back and it was a, you know, they had a crash or something like that. So, you know, and that's why, you know, we have a, like a, a global agreement with Shell. We're the only people with global aviation approval from Shell to operate anywhere in the world for them. We helped advise many of the standards that are in place for drone use and how to select a vendor that's appropriate. And running a, a drone company, I tell people it's a bit like running a small airline. You need to approach the equipment in, in a similar fashion. You need to ensure that whoever's carrying out the maintenance on the drones has had the correct training. You need to ensure that it's test flown before it's used. You need to ensure that people are carrying out appropriate checks before they use them. And you need to make sure they don't do things that they're not trained to do. So there are a lot of uh, principles and that we put in place that you wouldn't be out of place for a small airline. That makes a ton of sense. I mean, as much value as you're adding by, you know, limiting 
you know, exposure and to, you know, safety risks to human life by putting these machines in there, I mean, you could very quickly create bigger, even more catastrophic safety events if if you weren't handling that equipment correctly. So, no, that that makes a ton of ton of sense. Absolutely. Chris, it's been wonderful talking with you. I've really enjoyed the material and enjoyed learning about you and Cyberhawk. And, and of course, this show is focused on offshore oil and gas, but you guys are doing inspections for many different industries around the world, onshore, offshore, you name it. If it kind of if there's an asset to inspect, you guys could probably probably help out, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that offshore oil and gas, it's our background. That's where we came from, but we've just applied that kind of deep inspection philosophy to other verticals. So if it can be inspected with a drone, then we'd certainly give it a shot. Inside chimneys. Awesome, awesome. Chris, thank you again. I really appreciate the time and I'm sure the audience did as well. Well, thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Everybody, thank you for listening to another episode of the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast. Again, if you could leave a comment or review wherever you receive this content, I greatly appreciate that. And we'll catch you on the next one. Here are events on deck. Hey, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on. But we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Tune in next week for another episode of the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasoffshore.com.